Does dandruff follow you around like a cloud? Feels like you've already tried everything to end dandruff. Introducing Nizoral, a clinically proven solution for itching and flaking. Visible results can be seen in just two weeks. It's easy to use and suitable for all hair types. Nizoral treats the cause of dandruff, not just the symptoms. Dandruff can be caused by a fungus on the scalp. Nizoral gets to the root of the problem. Nizoral Shampoo, for long-lasting relief from dandruff when used every one to two weeks after initial treatment period. Nizoral Anti-Dandruff Shampoo contains ketoconazole. Use it to treat and prevent dandruff. Always read the label. I'm Dr. Zoe Williams, your host for Healthful Superdrug's brand new podcast discussing the key topics that affect your health now. We've covered a whole host of topics this season from puberty to sex care to immunity and now in this final Ask Us Anything episode we've got together a brilliant panel of experts who can answer all of your burning questions to tie up the series. So first up is Superdrug's resident sex expert and host of the new Audible podcast Kink is Alex Fox. Hello superhumans. Hello gorgeous. <laughs> Qualified GP and cosmetics doctor Dr Jane Leonard. Hello, hi. Trichologist and Nizeral ambassador Stephanie Say. Hi everyone. Shiraz Khan who's head of healthcare operations at Superdrug. Hello everyone. And one of the UK's best known psychologists Dr Linda Papadopoulos. Hi, Linda. Hi. Uh, Linda and I actually met for the first time recently. We were doing a quiz show together, pointless. We can't tell you how we got on, but all I'm going to say is it was all my fault. <laughs> it was a fun day. It was a fun day. <laughs> okay, so an excellent lineup of experts who probably can answer just about any question. But let's start with Shiraz and let's first of all talk about the big topic of last year, COVID-19. It's left a lot of people worried about going to the shops. So what can Superdrug do to help? Absolutely. Yeah. Last year was really tough for a lot of people, but I'm really pleased to say we did launch a number of new services to really help people out there. Um, The the first one that comes to mind just after the first lockdown last year, uh, just after March, was our super drug pharmacy app where people from the comfort and safety of their own home could order their medication from their GP and then receive a notification from one of our pharmacies to say it was ready to collect. So really only having to make that essential journey when they really need to go and pick up the medication. I'm really pleased in the last few months as well, we've actually added the ability to have that medication delivered to their homes or their address via post as well. And then later in the year, possibly, Zoe, one of my favourite launches, EasyMed, something that's close to my heart as a pharmacist. Um, Those patients and customers that are on multiple medications, you know, they can find it really difficult and confusing, particularly at a time when, you know, in lockdown, they were having to uh, self-isolate and and stay at home on their own. So what the EasyMed service does is takes all of those multiple medications, puts it into a simplified version, into small pouches, and the customer gets that delivered and they can then rip off that pouch, take it on the go, um, and it makes it really simple to manage those multiple medications. We think this is going to be great for um, a large subsect of um, uh, the the population out there. And then later on, we also launched our private video GP service. Um, Again, you know, people finding it difficult to get out and about and see their GP and get appointments. So from the comfort of their own home, 365 days a year from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, um, we can offer them a, a private GP service where they can have a video call. So we know all of these services have been um, really well received, particularly at this difficult time. I mean, that's really great. I think as a Superdrug health ambassador, I've been learning over the past six months or so about all of the health services that Superdrug offer. And I think lots of people out there aren't really aware of the whole range of health services on offer. What's the best place for people to go if they want to find out more? Absolutely. Straight to our website. All of our services are listed on the website um, from our um, private um, doctors, our online doctor, um, and also our incredible nurse services as well. But everything is listed there. Thanks. I'm going to come to Jane next. Obviously, last year and this year, um, 
lots of worry, lots of concern, yeah. but particularly for people with underlying health conditions. So what are the mm -hmm. risks for people who have chronic health conditions? I think um, there's such a wide range of, well, there's so much anxiety now related to this, the people that don't have um, underlying health problems and those that do. I think the main people are those with pre-existing respiratory problems, because of course, coronavirus isn't essentially a respiratory problem, although we're finding out now it can affect it on a multi-system level also. So it's people who've got problems such as asthma, such as COPD, people who've had problems with lung infections before, so people who've had pneumonia, bronchitis, things like that. So they are people from a respiratory point of view are at risk. Then it comes into a whole other group of people that have um, in fact, well, problems that affect their immune system. So again, that could be anything from people, people who are immunocompromised either by illnesses, such as cancer or cancer treatment is one big one or also those on medications that make them immunocompromised. And there's many um, medications that people take that they might not always be aware that this is the case. So, for example, people with autoimmune conditions, they're all medicines that can affect your immune system. So it's, a, it's basically a broad, broad spectrum of illnesses to treatments that can all co come into play. So I think awareness and having a point of access that people can go to to find out this information and also to reassure them, but also to um, make them aware of sort of red flag signs that they can seek help when they need to, because because it's a new illness, essentially, that information isn't always there and that can be, you know, cause other problems, not just those physically, mentally people can be greatly affected by that too. Yeah, I know there's been such a lot of confusion among my patients as well. Yeah. Certain groups were on the shield list, then they weren't on the yeah. shield list. And, you know, that just adds to it all, doesn't it? So I think definitely people should be in touch with their GP, but also their specialist teams and often the charity sites, um, the disease specific charity sites are a really good source of information as well. And talking about confusion and I think mental health um, to Linda, have, have you noticed that people are struggling more with their mental health and, and sort of in general, what can people do about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it really has taken its toll. I mean, you know, in many ways, COVID was kind of the holy trinity of what causes anxiety. Number one, it was novel. We had no idea what this was. And we know we kind of feel threat so much more intensely when it's novel. Number two, it was genuinely threatening. There were people dying, becoming gravely um, ill around it. And number three, of course, it was the uncertainty of it all. And, and human beings don't cope well with uncertainty, which is why we've invented everything from religion to diaries, right? We want to know what to expect next. So, you know, you can imagine how this will have impacted, you know, different groups of people. And 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 again, both from a, you know, a, a psychological point of view with people with pre-existing conditions. So, you know, people with OCD, with depression, we saw a real amplification with kind of social anxiety, a real amplification there. But even with people without pre-existing psychological um, mental health issues, you saw a lot of kind of this uncertainty feeding into a sense of just not feeling settled. Um, you saw a lot of loneliness, a lot of disconnection. I think to, to a large extent, we kind of got, you know, the, the, the messaging wrong early on, this idea of like, social distancing, social distancing. And I would always say we, we, we can physically distance, but we need to socially stay close. You know, we kept kind of harping on about that. And I still feel really strongly that, you know, I, you know, for all its downside, thank goodness we have technology. And I would urge people to still use that to connect in creative ways. You know, I, I, you know, I cooked with my mother again last week. She lives in Cyprus. She criticized my cooking from afar. <laughs> Felt like, oh, but I was like, okay, I'm okay. <laughs> socially distance that. I mean, I think there's ways of, of, you know, of having fun watching Netflix together with a friend from afar. And now that we're able to come closer, being able to do that. But again, what we always speak about in psychology, especially when we have to deal with uncertainty, is kind of looking at the stuff that I can control. And I think, thank goodness now, you know, it's great. It's great to hear you, Zoe and Jane, and everyone sort of speaking about what the fact that we do know a bit more. And as a consequence, I think people have a greater sense of volition, of understanding. So you know, we know now that, you know, this 
simple acts of washing our hands, you know, wearing those masks means that we're mitigating risk, at least to some extent. We know about kind of being cognizant of telling people we don't feel well. I think all of that's coming into it. I worry that the next batch of anxiety and worry will come from the the financial uh, fallout from what's happened. And I think this year, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Undeniable. Yeah, it's. I, th- I'm, I feel quite concerned. I work in a quite a deprived area of London. And also we have quite a large um, Black Caribbean community. We've been hit really bad yeah. by COVID in every sense. And I do worry about, just feels like something's bubbling under the surface and, and this year it's going to unleash. But I really like what you said there about what we're talking about is physical distancing. Physical distancing reduces the spread, but we don't want people to socially distance. And and what about online therapy? Because therapists have had to do things differently as well. And I would have always thought as a therapist that part of the therapeutic relationship is actually being in somebody's presence. But we've seen people switching over to online therapy, doing really well with it. Superdrug have actually launched, launched an online, online therapy service as well. What are your thoughts on online therapy? Uh, I'm a big fan. And actually, because I, I think I, I have clients across in different parts of the world, I, I've been using online therapy for quite a while and I'm actually following the research on it. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's about kind of so much of therapy is about establishing a healthy therapeutic relationship, that kind of connection. And if you're able to establish that, then whether it's online or offline, you know, it doesn't really matter. In many ways, for me, I think it takes away a lot of those barriers to therapy. So we, you know, we know that people used to have to take time off work, they'd have to travel, you know, even from a therapist's point of view, they, you know, they'd have to find it more difficult to fit in people depending on that. So actually now with that barrier taken away, I think it's done a couple of things. I think it's, it's, you know, to reduce the taboo, it's made it more accessible. Um, I'm not saying that there, you know, that there isn't a place for face-to-face therapy. Absolutely there is, but I think it was definitely, you know, thank goodness we were able to continue doing that. Amazing. So let's come to Alex and, you know, so many, I really feel sorry for people who live alone, who are single, who've had to get through the past, well, almost a year um, with very minimal physical interaction. So what are some tactics for people to combat feeling alone if they're single? Well, first up, I fall into that category and I'm very glad that we have so many people with medical qualifications in this podcast today because I could talk until my head falls off about it. So I'm going to need someone to sew it back on again. Um, I I don't think we can really underestimate the emotional impact uh, that uh, the, the quarantine, lockdown, the pandemic has had on single people. In particular, I'm hearing from a lot of women who are around my age, late 30s, early 40s, who are single, live alone like me, work alone like me, and not only feel very lonely, but also feel robbed of some crucial years pertaining to their fertility. And this is 12 months that we can't get back. Um, I am trying to deal with this with uh, using a technique that I call the three T's. Now, this has nothing to do with a 90s boy band comprised of Michael Jackson's cousins. (laughs) It's T for talking, T for touch, and T for trying. Now, the talking part, I think there's quite a lot of um, pressure on single people to try and remain more chipper than a McCain French fry factory. But it's important to acknowledge that this is hard. It's tough. I'd like to reiterate what Dr. Linda has just said. Opening up, chatting with people, um, uh, maybe seeking some therapy around the emotions that you're experiencing. That's a very, very valid thing to do. You do not have to keep quiet about the fact that you're sad. It doesn't make you weak it just makes you human um, if you're finding that talking to family and friends who do have partners or who have children is actually quite triggering for you and is maybe rubbing a little bit of salt in the wound then you might want to seek out singles groups online uh, a friend of mine Nicholas Lawson uh, writes a, a weekly newsletter specifically aimed at single people and I found that quite handy um, so my second tea is touch I'm really, really missing cuddles. I'm missing hugs. I'm a very tactile person. I love a squish and a squidge. And obviously <laughs> that's not something that I can have at the moment. Oh, I'm sending <laughs> one down the line for you. Oh, I'm receiving it gratefully. Oh, that was a good one, Zoe. Oh, I'm that, good at hugs. <laughs> I like the little rub that you gave me there. Um, 
I Googled, now this is going to sound left field and way out, I know, but I Googled, um, there are sequences of actions that you can perform on yourself, um, a sequence of self-touches, if you will, that are designed to help you self-soothe and self-comfort. I'm not for once talking about masturbation. (laughs) These are holds that place pressure on key points on the body, like underneath the solar plexus, around the head. And if you perform them in sequence then they're supposed to help you feel less anxious and a little bit less stressed out obviously it's not the same as a hug but it's a good stand-in especially if you're having a moment where you feel overwhelmed and you need to do something physical to help ground you and I also bought a body pillow initially to help me um uh, to help me sleep in a position that is uh going to be beneficial to my spine. Um, Like a lot of people working from home, I've had back problems because the chair I have in my in my house isn't the same as the um the the special designed one I had at my office so I initially bought this body pillow to to help with my my back it's actually helped um just have, be something lovely to 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 cuddle at night I know that makes me sound sad but again I think we need to be honest about this these are very human needs um so finally after talking and touch trying there is still plenty that you can try to uh, to connect with other people and even to go on dates if you want to. Um, virtual dating, according to one survey, has gone up 36%. While we've all been stuck under our own roofs, it's gone through the roof. And I've been trying a few virtual dates. It does require effort and it does require imagination, but someone who isn't isn't afraid to put in a bit of work and think outside the box. That's exactly what I want from a partner. So I've been doing things like online escape rooms. Uh, I've tried playing restaurant roulette where I ordered my favorite takeaway from some for someone I'd met on um, a dating app. They did the same for me, but we didn't reveal what we were going to get. Um, we did warn each other about allergies. I want people to swell with love for me, not with <laughs> anaphylactic shock. Um, <laughs> Uh, And I'm doing things like uh, I've tried an online virtual tour of a haunted house around Halloween. There's there's plenty that you can do that's genuinely fun. And if you try and lean into this as a new experience, then it can feel a little bit less isolating. Oh, that's great. I've actually had a few friends who've been very successful at the dating game during lockdown and I've ended up with, you know, what are looking like successful, potentially long-term partners. So it can happen. (laughs) Well, this is not going to be the last time in our lives that we face challenges as individuals and as a society. So if you can find somebody now who is supportive, understanding, a good communicator, those are really fundamentally great things uh, to find in someone that you want to be your partner. And a great story to tell the grandkids one day. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie, let's come over to you. So you're a trichologist. I wonder whether, first of all, you could explain what that is, because I'm, I'm sure there are many people who, who aren't familiar with that word. Yeah, um, lots of people aren't familiar. They usually say, oh, a psychologist. And I'm like, no, I'm not a trichologist. And they're like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Um it's basically, I'm a hair and scalp expert. I studied the science of skin, I'm sorry, the science of hair and the diseases that are associated with it. Um, trichologists typically work with other medical professionals, GPs, dermatologists, other specialists in other fields um, to help get to the bottom of what's causing people's hair loss. Great. And, and stress can bring on problems, particularly with hair loss conditions. So what advice do you have to give to somebody who might be experiencing this for the first time? Yeah, definitely. Stress is stress is quite a big one. And I think until maybe the last five years, people didn't really realise what effect stress had on the body and how it can be quite damaging, especially to the hair. There are conditions like excess shedding. You can suffer from alopecia areata when you're under stress, and it can also exacerbate scalp conditions like separate dermatitis and dandruff. So it does have quite a big effect on the um, the hair and hair loss and the body in general. Um, some of the things that I say to people is, first of all, don't stress more. Yeah. So when you're shedding loads of hair, I know it's easier said than done, but yeah. when you're shedding hair and you're seeing hair in your pit on your pillow, you know, when you get up on your clothes, in the sink, 
um, in the bath, you start to panic. And then you do like the kind of looking in the mirror all the time, looking to see if the hair's back, looking to see if the hair's back, seeing if you're shedding more. So the first thing is not to stress out about it even more. Um, the second thing I would say is start to look at your environment. If you do notice you're shedding hair, look at your environment. Um, we've been through a very stressful period and naturally hair will, if you've been through stress, you can have excess shedding about three to six months after. And so you might, know, you might have been through the stressful period, but assuming the aftermath now, um, but it could also just be that you need to look at your environment overall and start to make changes. Are you getting enough exercise? Are you, you know, keeping in touch with people? Are you feeling isolated? Are you um, meditating? You know, doing things that you enjoy. You know, it's, it's all good and well me saying that, oh, yeah, do this, do that. But it's really about what you enjoy. Do what you enjoy and more of it to alleviate that stress. I would also say speak to a doctor speak to a GP, speak to a trichologist, a certified trichologist, um, speak to a dermatologist, someone who's an expert in um, hair loss and scalp issues so that they can help you because whilst it could be stressed, there may be another factor that's playing a hand in the hair loss, like female pattern hair loss or male pattern hair loss, which also causes shedding. So the, there might be an underlying factor causing the hair loss. And I guess, um, finally, I know this sounds kind of gross, but a lot of people stop washing their hair when they're, they're struggling with hair loss. One of the things they do is as soon as they see lots of hair shedding, they get scared and then they don't want to wash their hair. They're like, oh no, but you know, Stephanie, I saw so much hair in the bath. I've just stopped washing my hair. And the point of the matter is that usually that hair needs to come out anyway. There's shed hair that comes out every day. We lose between 50 to 100 hairs every day. But then there is the issue as well, causing a little bit more hair to be shed. So now it's scaring you. But don't stop washing your hair because then you're just leading yourself to get other issues on the scalp, you know, scalp issues and all sorts of nasties on the scalp. So it's a good thing to keep washing the hair. Don't stop. It's so interesting. And I think actually from a scientific point of view, the hair and the scalp is something that often gets missed. Is Sometimes I think it's not that well understood by a lot of healthcare professionals as well, unless they are dermatologists or they're special in this area. But really, I'm just going to bring you back to that point that you were making of, about telogen effluvium, where, uh, which is a really long word, but that's what you were talking about. Actually, due a, in a period yes. of, of stress, you may notice that your hair almost gets a bit thicker, um, but it's after that period. And a lot of women experience in this after their pregnancy. So that typical, anyone who's had a baby, yes. a few months after the baby's born, your hair feels thin. But actually, that's just a marker of when your body was under the stress of growing a baby um your hairs went into a different cycle and they stopped growing and they come yes. out a bit later yeah yeah you usually find in that situation that your your ponytail is less dense for say example and but then you'll notice that there's a lot of hair regrowing at the roots lots of like little little hairs regrowing and that's when you know that you you've probably shed the hair and are coming out of it you know, there, there is the prolonged chronic telogen effluvium where, you know, you're under prolonged stress or you're ill for a long period and you notice that the hair continues to shed um, and then you just notice a general reduction in density in your hair. But overall, when you see that thickening underneath, you know that you're recovering. So that's something to hold on to. OK, I'm going to move on because we've got loads of questions. Oh, go on. Sorry. Go on, Jane. All I was going to say is I think um, it was just an important point just triggering my mind as we're speaking, just as in our GP work, I'm sure you find it saying that the physical effects of stress are often really underestimated by patients. I think everyone links stress to kind of how you're feeling, your mood and more anxiety related symptoms. But it's really just interesting to hear what Stephanie's saying that the whole, not even related to your, you know, your skin, your scalp, all these factors that are present, presenting complaints of many patients. And the, it's only when you unpick it of the underlying thing that's causing it. And obviously focusing on that is the only way to kind of move forward with it but I think it's just an interesting thing that often you it, we're, we're kind of learn to link A to B and we don't think laterally sometimes about other causes of things that, that stress is a massive cause of hair loss and that it's only when you kind of unpick it that you really see it I think. Yeah and I think I think as GPs you know we we tend to like to 
think about things medically first. So if you do see your GP about this, they, sh- they probably will do a blood test to look for things like iron deficiency or low zinc or thyroid problems. But usually in most cases, my experience, those blood tests tend to come back fine. And we do then start looking at these other more common causes. Alex, I know you've got something to add. I am finding this a fascinating conversation because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I've lost a bit more hair this year because of stress. Um, but when I saw my GP about it, um, because I have a history of uh, alopecia that was induced by some medication I had to take in the past. Mm. Um, They did point out the very simple fact that I am spending more time in my home. So Mm. I'm probably seeing more hair than I would do usually simply because I'm I'm not shedding it when I'm out and about. So the fact that my bedroom looked like a fraggle got shaved in there might just be (laughs) because I'm spending more time there. And I guess, Stephanie, that's a good opportunity to kind of just make that distinction between what would be just that you're shedding more hair and something like alopecia areata. Yeah, I mean, when you're shedding more hair, the the difference between shedding more hair and alopecia areata is usually in alopecia areata, you will find that there are, you'll find like a bald patch. It might be a very tiny bald patch. It can be quite a considerable bald patch. And it's just hair completely absent of that area. And you'll wonder what happened there. You'll think, did I yank my hair out? But that's not what's happened. It's um, basically your white blood cells are saying this hair shouldn't be here. And it's not usually it's not a um, permanent um, condition. Your hair will grow back usually when the stressful incident has been removed. So I found I've seen it when people are moving, divorce, um, studying, lots of students will come in with patches in their hair. And that's probably the biggest difference that you notice. That said, there is a form of alopecia areata called um, alopecia areata incognito, which means that it actually doesn't affect a patch in its entirety. So it's like almost like every other hair. So that hair becomes less dense. So it still looks kind of fine in that area, but it's not a clear cut patch like a normal patch. But that's, 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 I don't, I haven't seen that as often. I have seen it, but I haven't seen it as often as the clear cut, just patches of hair loss that you get. Really interesting. So fascinating. But I'm going to move us on because we've got loads of questions to get through through this whole panel. Loads Um, of hairy matters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the next question's about supplements. I'm going to ask this question to Shiraz. So there there are loads of supplements on the market, more than there have ever been. Um, But in your opinion, which ones do you think that we should be considering taking? Uh, yeah, it can be an absolute minefield. Um, I think it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. So some people take supplements for a particular problem or a deficiency and others take them simply just to be the best they can be. Um, uh, you know, I think back to when I was a practicing pharmacist and um, on a daily basis, I'd get questions around which supplement, which vitamin. Um, one thing that we have now got on our website on superdrug.com is a vitamins find. And I've um, uh, asked my friends and family to, to, to utilize it. And it's it's great. It really does give you um, recommended products, uh, whether you're trying to strengthen your bones or just a general multivitamin to to help your overall well-being. So um, certainly that can help people. Um, uh, people out there. But if I had to pick a couple, um, I think the first one would be true niogen. So relatively new, exclusive to super drug. And it really does help um, the cells within your body from a defense and repair and energy perspective. So um, what we've seen is um, people have a reduction in tiredness and fatigue and also um, generally have more energy. So that's certainly one product um, I would recommend. The other one is vitamin D. So as you know, the body naturally creates vitamin D from direct sunlight on the skin. But between October and early March, we don't see enough of that sunlight. And so people can be deficient and particularly um, during the pandemic where people have been staying um, indoors much more um, can be a real problem. So I'd certainly be recommending taking a vitamin supplement as well. Vitamin D supplement, you should say. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And then and then Jane, as a doctor, when it comes to vitamins, um, what would your advice be around what we should be taking? Uh, should we be taking anything to keep ourselves yeah. healthy, sort of just in general? I think going over what Shraz was saying, that basically there's a lot of misleading information around. I think sometimes then um, people don't know what they should be taking, what what's going to cause too much harm than good. I think it'll go back from a doctor's point of view, I suppose, is more like saying if you're a healthy, balanced diet, we're not really aiming to replace that. Supplements are called supplements for a reason. They're supplementing what our baseline should be. So I think if you're having a diet that's varied, um, 
um, you know, getting your five a day, all these things that, you know, are hard, sometimes hard to do in a busy lifestyle, but it's, it's supported and recommended for that reason. So I think from that, that baseline is what we should all be aiming to achieve. And then kind of looking at what your requirements are like. So what is your, what is your lifestyle like? So people that have got, you know, really hectic lifestyles or in different stages of their lives, so people perhaps who are pregnant or breastfeeding or maybe have underlying health issues. That is when you need to think again, it's just a bit more outside the box of what you might need to supplement that baseline of the healthy diet um i think also diets that are exclusion are important to mention people who are uh, vegetarian or vegan they were cutting out sort of specific things so like red meat classically you know they might be lacking iron and vitamin b12 and um, so it's important to think about that um I would also really support what you're saying about vitamin D. It's something that I think, particularly in previous years gone by, something that, again, was underestimated, the effects of that. And I always say to patients, I think you get 90% of your vitamin D from the effect of sunlight on your skin. So no matter how good your diet is, an oily fish or whatever you're having in dairy products, you're not going to get your vitamin D up to that level. So I think it's in t- incorporating that, that particularly in the winter months, that is something that's essential. Um, but I just say to patients that really, you know, look at your diet first. And then if you want to supplement it, there's no harm in taking a good multivitamin alongside that. But then other things, again, I think, you know, it's important to actually look at the vitamins that, that you're looking at taking and being aware that sometimes too much of a good thing isn't always great. You know, you, there are effects of these things too. Um, and again, that's, I suppose it comes into having a chat with your doctor and looking into useful information online to what you're referring to, what Superdrug has. And so actually where you go to with that. For example, with vitamin D, if you take too much of it, that can cause problems. So it's important to kind of making sure that you show that you're looking at sort of what your own requirements are and also what you're hoping to achieve as well. Yeah, I mean, I emulate all of that. In an ideal world, we would all get plenty of sunshine, plenty of healthy, oily fish and fruit and veg. The truth is, actually, a lot of us don't. So it really, it is about making that self-assessment, isn't it? And thinking, actually, am I lacking something? For people who don't eat any fish at all, then you're probably going to struggle to get enough omega-3s, for example. For people who spend most of the time indoors, in fact, if you live in the UK... Um, even if you spend lots of time outdoors, um, for many of us, we might struggle to get enough vitamin D, certainly in the winter months. So it's about thinking about that self-assessment and what could you be lacking and therefore supplementing, especially for people who are, I think, on a vegan diet. It's, it's really, you can Definitely, achieve yeah. it. If you eat loads of seaweed and, you know, yeah. sea <laughs> algae and things like that, you can actually get a, get everything you need from food, but it is a challenge. And and, and Shiraz, the, the supplement, that you mentioned that's exclusive to Superdrug, is that suitable for people who are vegeta- vegetarian? Yes, it absolutely is. And um, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm particularly fond of it. Okay. Stephanie, what about people who are suffering from hair loss? Would you recommend any particular supplements or vitamins to make sure that they're getting everything they need? I usually like to check whether or not people, someone's deficient in something before recommending anything. Um, a popular thing that people were doing is taking biotin, and that you know excessive amounts of biotin and then they'd come with bad skin or other issues and you well you're taking too much you don't actually need biotin it's very you know rare to have a biotin deficiency um i usually just say like um um dr jane leonard said earlier I usually just say take a good multivitamin to start with and then have blood tests to see if you're deficient in anything. Vitamin D, um, iron is a common one that um, causes brittle, dry hair. And there are a lot of women out there that are anemic and don't even realise. So I, I make sure people go for blood tests and then get the results. And then we can look to see what needs to be supplemented and see what their GP recommends as well. Um, because I think that's the starting point, knowing that you might be deficient in something before recommending things, because people are just taking a lot of supplements without really knowing, you know, um, what the problem is, and then creating very expensive pee. (laughs) Yeah, very true. Yeah. So I think we're all in agreement then. It's about making a self-assessment. There's no harm in taking a multivitamin if you want to as a bit of an insurance policy. Make sure you take some vitamin D, please. Um, But actually, you know, at some point you can actually overdo it as well and do more. Do more harm than good. So be sensible. Um, Alex, we can't have you on the podcast and not ask you a question about sex. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, So how does your sexual health 
impact on your overall I love health. that you've segued there from vitamin pills to sexual thrills. Um, well, <laughs> sexual well-being does far more than just affect the parts in your pants. Our sexual health can have a huge holistic effect, not just on us physically in ways that you, you may be surprised about, but also mentally. And um, dealing first with the physical effects of, of our, our, our sexual health, um, I guess the obvious thing to talk about really is STIs, sexually transmitted infections. Now, a lot of these are, excuse my French, sneaky buggers, and that's how you catch some of them, in fact. Um, really common ones like chlamydia often do not show any obvious symptoms. About 70% of women, in fact, and 50% of men have absolutely no clue that they're carrying something like chlamydia until they get tested. But behind the scenes, it can have effects on the body like uh, reactive arthritis. It can cause infertility. It can give you a higher risk of miscarriage or having a stillbirth if you're a woman. It can make your testicles swell up. Nobody wants swollen testicles. Um, so actually testing yourself, knowing your status and then getting treatment, which in lots of cases is just a single dose of one broad spectrum antibiotics. Quite easy to do. Um, finding out where you stand and then making sure you're as healthy as possible is a really good thing to do. Talking about the mental health impacts. Now, you and I have chatted about this before, Zoe. There's so much taboo and stigma um, and fear associated with sexuality and our sexual parts um, that often people are really afraid to get to know themselves. I know you've told me about women who feel so embarrassed and ashamed of um, their breasts, for example, because they feel that they're a sexualized part of the body, that they haven't come to see you about issues with cancer until the problem has reached a stage where it's very difficult to treat or manage. Um, similarly, I have worked with the Eve Appeal, who are um, a charity that try to raise awareness of the five types of gynecological cancer and signs that can be indicative of symptoms that you, you have a, a cancer problem developing. And we heard from so many people who just didn't know what was normal for their private parts because they felt so um, ashamed of that part of their body. Lockdown is a really good time to have a look down there and get <laughs> to know what's normal for you. Have a squidge, have a squeeze. Um, I feel like I've used that phrase a lot. <laughs> get a mirror out, get to know yourself and get to know what is standard for your individual body. And that way, if you do notice something that's a little bit different, like bleeding at a time you weren't expecting it to, a lump or a bump, um, then you know that you can seek help and support and advice as fast as possible. Um, if you're a person with a penis, erectile dysfunction um, or basically having problems gaining or maintaining an erection, you might have noticed that more or maybe for the first time this year. Um, we know that getting a hard-on can be hard if you're under stress, if you're suffering from anxiety. And for a lot of us, that is the case right now because of corona. Um, again, super drug pharmacists can offer um, a really good first port of call when it comes to advice. Um, sometimes you might need some medical treatment. At other times, it's about therapy. It's about talking. It's amazing what you can do with your mouth that can affect your parts in all sorts of ways. Amazing. And I remember I was having a conversation before, I think we were talking about self-pleasure and, um, and orgasms in particular. Not everybody has an orgasm, but if you do, like the, the, the chemicals that are released from the brain, it's like the most delightful cocktail of chemicals such as endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, prolactin, oxytocin, all the good feel-good chemicals. And, you know, from a mental health point of view, but also from a physical health point of view, that can do you a world of good. Um, and alleviate things like anxiety and stress and, you know, actually even form part of, you could argue, and we'll ask Linda about this as, as our psychologist, but you could even argue that could form part of your self-care, self-management for if you are struggling with mental health. What do you think about that, Linda? <laughs> Look, I think having um, a healthy awareness and a healthy sense of entitlement of your sexuality. And I think this is what I love about sort of all the stuff that Alex is saying, and I think she's spot on. I think it is that sense of entitlement. There's, you know, there, there's so much discomfort around it because sadly it's so entwined, you know, with secrecy. Of course, under side of secrecy is shame. Shame is really, really bad for us. So um, I think being able to kind of feel that A, I'm entitled to, to kind of know what my body does 
that's how it works. I'm entitled in the same way to ask for, for help around this and, you know, when, when I need it. And also I'm entitled to enjoy it. And whether that is enjoying it on my own, which, you know, I think is again, an area that's, that's, you know, very rarely kind of spoken about in a healthy way, but that sort of, that's an ability, you know, absolutely you can get pleasure like that and understand yourself or with another person that becomes better when you are able to kind of share what you need and what you don't. And in terms of overall sense of well-being, we know that kind of holistically having a healthy sex life is very, very good for you, both mentally and physically, of course. And I want to ask you also about anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise and it's a word that has been talked about more than ever in the past 12 months. I think it's something that's affected probably just about everybody. I think it's it's almost unusual to not have felt anxious. But what can we what can we all do about it? Yeah, it's interesting. Everyone's been banding the word stress around, right? When and and what is stress? You know, we kind of all feel like we know what is not true. Stress is actually the difference between what I feel I have inside me is my ability to cope, and what externally is the problem that I'm coping with. That difference there, that differential. If I feel I have it in me to cope, then even if the big stressor outside is something enormous, right? Even if it is a bereavement, a divorce, I'll be fine. On the other hand, if internally I feel that I'm unable to cope, then something small can send me over the edge. And that's why it's very specific anxiety, right? It's very personal. The reason that we think it's on the rise, there's, there's a lot of kind of reasons out there. Um, I think to, um, to some extent, I think our technological advancements have outpaced our emotional advancements. And although I think there's definite benefits to social media, I think the rise that we're seeing in it in the young absolutely has to some extent to do with the way we compare and contrast our lives with the need to PR our lives. Um, I think that's a part of it. I think with relationships, again, I think while, again, there's there's this wonderful aspect where social media opens you up to meeting more people, I think there's the paradox of choice. The more people, the more products, the more everything's out there, because I'm never really kind of committed or settled or happy with what I have in front of me. I'm always looking what else there is. Again, if you think you know, the idea of someone having access to hundreds and thousands of partners, that would have only been, from an evolutionary point of view, open to kind of pharaohs and kings and maybe more recently celebrities. Now, we all feel we've got this sort of inflated sense of, hey, it's all out there, which means we, we you know, the way that we're engaging may not be mindful enough, both with, with friends and, and non-platonic relationships as well. I think the, the other side of what's gone on I think very much for for um, for young people and sort of older people is this sense of isolation. It's been touched on today. I think you know we isolate you know we, we isolate for different reasons. I think cognitively we isolate in our bubbles. There's a real sense that we kind of seek out opinions that confirm our own and that can raise our anxiety. We see the world as much darker than it is because there's so much influx of information, and we know that the information that we attune to, we attune to when it's danger. Media agencies know this, which is why that's the stuff that's always out there. So we kind of have a hyper awareness of what's wrong with the world rather than what may be going well with the world. So I think all of these things together have an, an, you know, a, you know, absolutely an impact on what we're seeing. But one of the things that I always kind of speak to about my clients is this sense that, you know, anxiety is that, you know, something's going to happen and I'm not going to be able to cope with it. And that kind of living life with the idea that number one, there is a solution to every problem. One way or another, there's a solution about that positivity there. Um, And I think secondly and critically, being able to understand that you know, the whole point of life is not that, you know, you reach happiness and you stay there. Like, okay, I'm happy now. That actually life is a series of problems that we solve and we move on to the next. And, and seeing those problems like Sudokus or Rubik's Cubes rather than oh, these, these catastrophes. So like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And then those moments when you, when you kind of share a wonderful meal with a friend or have like one of those nourishing walks or phone calls or like I don't know you know wear that dress and feel fabulous and like really enjoy those and 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 make sure that you 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 make a point of being in those moments of happiness and when you're in the moments of problem solving see it as such rather than this huge catastrophe. Brilliant that as always such wonderful really tangible practical advice that people I'm sure will really benefit from.
With over 70 health clinics established on the high street with 13 years of experience, Superdrug are here to support your general well-being and immunity through health checks, family vaccination services and vitamin B12 test and treat service. Head to www.healthclinics.superdrug.com to book an appointment today. Subject to availability and suitability. We're almost towards the end, but I'm going to squeeze in one additional question for each of you because we've we've got you all together this one time and there's so much knowledge on this podcast. So Shiraz, first of all, what would be really helpful from you would be a quick rundown of of what services Superdrug offer to help with people's health. Absolutely. So um, a quick rundown. Okay, let's go. Um, (laughs) So I've already mentioned pharmacy services and I've already mentioned some of the great products we do. What I haven't mentioned is our incredible nurse team. Um, And I'm really proud of them in particular. Obviously, pharmacy teams on the front line last year of the pandemic and still um, on the front line. But our nurses, whilst we closed the clinics in the first lockdown, um, actually volunteered and redeployed into the NHS and also GP surgeries and were incredible on the front line really helping out during the pandemic. But their day job for Superdrug, um, they run a whole array of private services up and down um, the UK. We've got over 80 clinics and I myself have taken my son and daughter to have their chickenpox vaccine. Um, They also deliver HPV services. Uh, The other one really is our mental health app, really close to my heart because I have had personally friends and family who have suffered with mental health issues. It's called Mindcare by Superdrug and and launched a few months ago. Um, And we're particularly proud of this. Again, you know, you can go and see your NHS GP, but for those people that, um, you know, need need that flexibility or don't necessarily want to go to their regular GP, they can utilise the app. It has access to specialist GPs that um, will support uh, in coming to diagnosis and then with advice and onto other um, therapies if they need it. And then the final one, I can't not mention our amazing online doctor service. So I talked about the video GP, which is different. The online doctor service um, has, you know, has great feedback on Trustpilot, 12,000 reviews, 4.7 stars. That's in a very quick snapshot. <laughs> that's, that's really good. And what's interesting is there are so many super drug stores that have these nurse clinics and they're always right at the back of the store. And unless you look for them, you might not see that they're there. There's one on my local Superdrug, which is Balham High Street. And it was only a few weeks ago that I was in there and I was like, oh, wow, look, we actually have a nurse clinic. I didn't even know. So people, next time you're in Superdrug, have a little look at the back and just see if you've got a nurse clinic. I had a nurse clinic appointment myself. I had my COVID-19 antibody test and I was really, really impressed. Once you're in that room, you could be in a GP surgery. They're very clinical. The nurse was super professional, full PPE, you know, the works. Um, it was great. So thank you for that. Um, Jane, I want to ask you a question about something that is new to many of us, and it's called maskne. So acne and skin problems because of wearing face masks. And for some people, it's an absolute nightmare. So what can we do about maskne? You're so right, Zoe. And this maskne is a new and very real and growing problem, unfortunately, given the pandemic. So maskne just basically means that the constant wear of the mask causes sort of irritation and friction on the skin that can kick off um, basically acne-like symptoms. So um, it's often seen the pattern of where you're wearing the mask, but can really, once the acne starts, can affect different areas of your skin. Um, the main sort of treatments for it, I think the simple treatments that we can do to prevent it and also medical treatments that we can do if it is growing into a problem of more like classical acne, how we can treat it with medications. So I'd say first and foremost, try and change your mask as much as possible. Constantly wearing a mask is actually more detrimental, I think, than the whole situation than wearing a new either disposable mask or wearing one that you're regularly washing. So I think that's probably point one to say. Secondly to that, it's um, just cleansing your skin thoroughly. I think with acne, I'm not I'm not saying that um, you get acne because your skin is dirty, essentially, but by having um, a mask, which is essentially a barrier that's irritating your skin, causing excess oil and sebum to reproduce, which then clogs the pores and then causes sort of spots and and blackheads and things like that that we need to kind of to clear the skin the upper layer of your skin so just using looking at your skin type so looking if your skin is naturally oily or even more dry skin types is important to thoroughly, thoroughly cleanse your skin and then use a good sort of oil-free moisturizer that will 
protect your skin against sort of over drying, but also means that you've got a good platform to then apply your mask onto. Um, the other thing is for women, I suppose, is try not to wear too much makeup. Normally, it's it's a, it's a classic sort of do it or not do it in the sense that you've got spots that you want to cover up, but sometimes clogging up your pores with an additional thing can cause more problems. So I'd say just regularly cleansing your skin and not you if you're going to use makeup, use an oil through products as well that will stop the skin becoming excessively um, blocked with makeup and on top of the problem caused by the mask. If it is affecting you, if your skin is getting worse, if it's get affecting you physically and mentally, as we know that acne can do, um, don't wait till it gets really bad to see your GP. Getting in there sooner rather than later is something I'd always say because it's some acne can be treated, but the longer you leave it, the trickier it can get sometimes. So I think get in and see your GP early. Like we spoke about earlier on, we don't even if you can't see them because of the current situation, video call is absolutely fine to kind of look at your skin and see your skin in that way with, without having to actually go to and see your GP face to face and depending on what your skin is actually like it might be something that can really be treated with like a, a classical benzyl peroxide cream which might get rid of the sort of um, block pores that you get and that might be the initial mild stage but I think doing the basic things first simple things do have a big impact it just might take a bit of time because you still got to wear the masks and making them work but I say don't hold back and seeking medical help because the more, there are more things that can be done in a really simple but effective way than waiting for it to get bad, bad and then affecting you mentally and physically absolutely and and if the first treatment you try doesn't work go back to yeah. gp because there are so many different treatments that we have now for acne different things work for different people yeah. if you've tried it for a couple of months it's not working it's time to try something else how often should people be washing their masks do we think i think it's a really tricky question i think if it if it's possible to use those disposable ones because i just look at mine i wear it's instantly covered with makeup and all kinds and i've had it on for like 15 five minutes so that's how, but i know yeah. that's not possible for everyone to carry around these boxes of them but i think using something as well look at the material that you use and just basic things like cotton breathable and um, things i see people walking around with stuff that just looks really thick and you know something that make your heart and your skin get sweaty and greasy just within seconds of wearing it so using something that's breathable and just not a really thick heavy layers it's something that you can actually wear comfortably but the more you can change it the better essentially but I think it's looking at your practically how easy it is to do that I mean if you think about our knickers we change those every day and you know our faces yeah. our faces it's important so yeah, yeah maybe, maybe treat treat your mask like you treat your knickers <laughs> speaking of knickers Alex <laughs> um, I was just thinking that of breathable materials yeah. is what I'd say about pants to uh, to prevent yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly um Alex I want to ask you what how I'd like you to advise people who feel like they've lost their mojo in lockdown what can they do I can't imagine you would ever lose your mojo but for many people feel, <laughs> people feeling that way what can they do uh, actually it's been fascinating to observe how people's libidos have uh, have oscillated over the past year because for some people their sex drive has gone to 100 miles an hour they've experienced what i call the apocalypso effect where uh, in times of um global strife some folks think they, they, they adopt this kind of hedonistic reaction where they think well we're going to hell in a handcart and may as well have fun and that also includes lots and lots of sex and um, for others becoming cognizant of how short life can be even subconsciously um, can prompt them to want to either procreate or just become more sexual because um, they've got this mental list of things that they want to achieve in their life. On the flip side, though, lots of people have found that during lockdown, their libido has gone down through the roof, uh, through the floor rather. And there are lots of reasons for this. Um, for a start, feeling anxious about the health of ourselves, our friends, our family, our income, the future. None of those are exactly aphrodisiacs, are they? <laughs> Um, some people have found that um, if they were prone to depression before, um, they they're on SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, brilliant medications when it comes to alleviating the blues, but unfortunately they can have detrimental effects on your pink bits and they can lower your sex drive. So if your 
you're on antidepressants, you might have noticed that you don't want to touch yourself or your partner as much as usual. And um, finally, there's the influence that a lot of people are just finding that they're around their partners more than they ever have been before. Those usual um, little holes in our schedules that will allow the steam to escape are no longer there. We can't escape our, our lovers and we're just sick to death of seeing the sight of them. <laughs> Never mind getting down to business with them. Um, on a more serious side note, um, remember that living with somebody does not mean that they are entitled to sex with you whenever they want it. Coronavirus does not take away consent. If you or somebody that you care about is in a situation where they are sharing space with somebody on a more regular or permanent basis, where you feel like there might be sexual coercion or domestic abuse or any other kind of situation where someone is putting pressure on another person, um, there's a really good app called Bright Sky. If you give that a Google, that can help you access resources that can give you support and help in those circumstances and we mentioned Superdrug's nurse services if you are able to go into a store often those nurses will have a discreet little room um, if you ask to access it they can provide you um, with the means to contact resources and support so if you if you need an excuse that sounds legitimate to get away from your partner and have 10, 15 minutes on your own to talk to somebody, then go and see a super drug nurse. You can say that you're just going for a health appointment. They will help you talk to people who can assist. I'd also, sorry, Alex, I'd also add in that um, that includes our pharmacies as well. So, you know, it's our nurses and pharmacies that um, we'll, we can have some sp safe spaces for those individuals. Fantastic. So if you are somebody who is in a situation um, where you do feel like things aren't great at home, Superdrug and many other people can help. You do not have to put up with that and you do not have to stay in that situation. Um, if you're somebody whose libido's dropped, your sex drive is sort of ground to a halt, it's got the brakes on, and you do want to investigate ways of reawakening that, um, one exercise I'd suggest is something called sensate focus. I've been doing this myself because I think it's rather a pleasant thing to do even if you're not experiencing problems. Um, this is a practice whereby you try and become more mindfully, consciously aware of small day-to-day -day pleasures, whether that's stopping to inhale the gorgeous, sumptuous scent of your coffee in the morning or paying attention to how the individual drops of your shower feel on your skin all over your whole body or savouring um, the crisp cool cotton of a fresh shirt when you put it on in the morning, tuning your mind into noticing those tiny but gorgeous elements of your day can help you essentially like wake up your nervous system and you can teach yourself to lean into that joy. Once you've got into that habit, it's easier to feel sensual pleasure either when you're masturbating or when you are with a partner. Um, I'd like to remind people that sex just doesn't have to be penetration. I say this all the time, but putting a pole in a hole does not need to be your sole goal <laughs> when it comes to having fun with a partner. Um, if you're not feeling in the mood for intercourse, there is loads of other fun things that you can do. Um, one thing I would suggest is a texture tour. Now this is purposefully silly. This is where you collect items from all around your house, say uh, a freezing cold spoon, um, a velvet cushion cover, uh, a fluffy dressing gown cord, anything that feels interesting, maybe one of those um, squidgy, uh, what they call like a shower puff, um, all sorts of things that feel nice blindfold your partner and then don't insert any of these objects please I do not want to be removing spoons from poons anytime soon but touch your partner's skin with these different objects in different places um, it is a bit of a giggle but I think more of us could benefit from not only this sensual exploration and discovering new textures new feelings new sensations but also having a laugh sometimes we believe that sex has to be so serious and so slick it's not just a performance having a good old giggle in the bedroom can do a lot of us a lot of good fabulous wonderful advice there um 
coming over to Dr. Linda, I want to talk a bit about social media and, you know, social media, we are all on social media and it can bring so much joy, but also it does have detrimental effects. Um, I wonder if you can give us some tips for how people who feel that they're perhaps affected negatively by social media, how can they stop themselves from doom scrolling? Yeah, look, I think... I think I think number one is kind of understanding sort of the, the, the mental process that goes on with engaging in social media. So we tend to post, and a lot of research shows this, we tend to post when we're on a high, we tend to scroll when we're on a low. <laughs> so we're posting, you know, like the Michelin star meals and we're scrolling when we're eating disgusting leftovers, right? So again, the differential between kind of where I am, where I think everyone else is, is very amplified. So I think we just need to begin to read social media posts either as press releases, you know, or marketing, because that's what it is. It's a superlative of our lives. So I think people went to kind of thinking, okay, in the same way that a company releases a press release and says, hey, here's our new car, and this is why it's an amazing car. You know, here's my shiny life, or, or here's how, it's, it's very much to some extent that. I think also comments, you know, I remember, you know, back in the day, we'd kind of, you know, have like the back of the bathroom door and we'd write stuff, right? Now everyone has the ability to kind of write stuff on your bathroom door. Now, some of that stuff's going to be uplifting and wonderful. Some's going to be stuff that should be left in the bathroom. I think you need to kind of take both the good and the bad with a pinch of salt, right? There needs to be a sense of what is the source? And I think this is what I think is a critical thing with social media. I think it's an establishing an identity with the people that we know, because so much of our identity is bound up in how we feel about ourselves. And if we're, if we're developing an identity that depends on a number of people validating that, regardless of who they are, then we're kind of seeking the wrong thing. Hold up that identity that people have a vested interest in you being the best version of yourself. Friends, peers, family, rather than this amorphous cloud that you're trying to please to no avail, because actually double tapping on anything doesn't really mean you like it. You know, there's a million, there's, you know, there, there's so much better ways to do that. And I think the other thing is that, you know, social media is a tool like any other. Knives help you cut tomatoes and they can also kill someone, right? Social media is the same thing. It's a tool. So, you know, and I say this, especially to kind of any parents out there that are worried with their kids, they often ask me, how much time should they spend online? I don't think it's about, you know, time spent. It's about time well spent. So if my daughter's online, you know, researching, you know, an issue that she feels important about and setting up a GoFundMe page to kind of help somebody, I'm happy for her to be on there for a couple of hours. If she's on a pro-anorexia site or some kind of other sort of god-awful site where she's kind of scrolling through and looking at, you know, uh, things that, that, that aren't in accord with her own well-being, then I'm going to have an issue if she's on there for 15 minutes. So think about it in terms of that time well spent not just time spent again just such wonderful advice I think we can all just reflect a little bit on the time that we spend on social media and you can almost identify the types of things that make you feel a certain way um I once did a small a small little study well it wasn't really a study it was a little experiment and what we found is that people tend to feel really happy when they're looking at images or videos of babies and animals um but they feel really bad when they're looking at other people on a beach or in a michelin star restaurant and so it's about it's about screening what makes you feel good and bad and you know it's it's your choice really isn't it what you choose to engage with and what you choose to unfollow Absolutely. Look, I always say to people, curate your consciousness. You know, thoughts aren't these amorphous things. I can guarantee I can take the happiest person and if I make them read and view a certain, you know, type of material, I can drop their mood down almost immediately. So think, don't just let these things come into your consciousness, be it news feeds or be it, you know, social media posts. Think about how much time you're spending and actually seek out the good stuff. Seek out the baby videos of that, be it. <laughs> Seek out the positive news stories. And just finally, really critically, you know, you know, there's a bunch of hormones involved in happiness. We know that endorphins are involved in happiness if we get them from exercise. We know that serotonin is involved in kind of those deep, lovely, meaningful discussions. Dopamine is involved in happiness, but also it's involved in habit formation. And everything you have online is a dopamine hit. It's not the, you know, the wonderful oxytocin. It's not the wonderful serotonin. It's the dopamine. So as much as it gives you the high, it also forms habits. So be aware of how much you engage with that little red dot that says you have a notification. And turn those colors down. No, that helps you. Set aside time when you're working and not looking at it. Switch it off at a good time at night. You know, all of these things will help the way you engage. 
Amazing. And I have one last question for one last expert. And I'm going to totally take over and ask a trichologist question about my hair. Um, because Stephanie, you love to empower women to talk and learn about their textured hair. Now I've been wearing my hair in an Afro since I was 19, but it's really only the last year or two that I've started to, to learn about my hair and understand my hair and experiment with it. So what advice would you give to somebody? And there are many people out there who are just starting out on their natural textured hair journey. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I, um, stopped relaxing my hair about 20, how many years ago now? 23 years ago. Um, I was quite young, but I didn't wear my hair in its natural state out. I always used to still straighten it. And I used to do, I used to put extensions, weaves, anything, but wear my actual natural hair out till about 10 years ago. And what I found is that I needed to learn how to enjoy my hair. I needed to learn how to see my hair, how my face looks with my hair, not with a different hairstyle, with just my hair. This is my hair and this is how I can style it. Um, touch it, don't over touch it because otherwise you're going to ruin your hairstyle or break it, but touch it and learn how it feels. Because one thing that I've had from women all the time is, oh, um, my hair feels dry. My hair feels like this. And I'm like, no, your hair just feels like your hair. You expect it to feel something else, but it doesn't actually, it's not supposed to feel like that. When you slick a product in there and it feels a bit wet and bouncy and juicy, that's with the product. Your hair, naked hair doesn't feel like that. Um, I always say learn its character. Um, textured mm -hmm. hair has character, like character. So in much character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the back of my hair is like this loose, coil like it's very loose and then this side is a tight curl which springs up and then this side is kind of like oh I want to be kind of in between these two textures so I'm glad you said that because I've got the same at the back I've got sort of looser curls that get really long and then right on the crown here that's the really really curly bit which yeah. is always so I'm always like pulling that bit out trying to get it to be the same length as the rest of it yeah it's got a mind of its own <laughs> it's, it's yeah that's definite thing and people think that their hair is just one texture or one type I mean I have like what you know that classic mullet kind of look so if I leave my hair at the back is really long and then the rest shrinks up and I'm like oh this is not the look I was going for but I refuse to cut that bit at the back <laughs> yeah yeah because it takes a while my yes. hair is, you know often afro hair takes a long time to grow so we're all a little bit afraid of those hairdresser yeah. scissors although they were a good thing every now and again yeah definitely and um I would say that um just take the time to learn about your hair a lot of women are wearing their natural textured hair but maybe doing so under wigs um doing so under weaves and they're not actually taking the time to experiment and learn about their hair so it's all good and well have it in braids and then having a wig on but you don't actually know your hair and how it reacts to different environments for example I don't try and control my hair in humid situations I just let it do what it wants to do because it's going to shrink up and curl and do what it wants to do I will leave with a curated hairstyle and end <laughs> up with a less curated hairstyle and um, Linda said something else earlier that really that's something that I commonly say to people is she said curate your consciousness and that really stuck in my mind because I always say to the people with social media for example you can curate your feed now to see what you want to see you know there are many girls saying oh but I feel like I should wear my hair like this and I'm like but in my feed I only see I mainly see girls with hair like mine so and women with hair like mine so I see braided hairstyles lock hairstyles highly textured kinky coily hairstyles that's mainly what I see and so I don't feel different I don't feel as though oh my goodness my hair is so different to that person's I need to beat it into submission to do something that it doesn't necessarily want to do so I think it's all about that self-knowledge or really getting to know you now I can wear a wig if I want to and mm -hmm. then I can and I don't actually like myself in it for long I'm like oh who is this girl and then when I take it off I'm like oh that's me again that's who I that's who I am this is my hair and I feel more comfortable so I think those are the main things I would say about learning your hair.
Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. I'm actually going to give a little shout out to my friends at World Afro Day as well. Um, they've been fighting the fight against hair discrimination in schools, which still goes on. School, some schools still discriminate against certain Afro hairstyles, but it's time to change. And also shout out to Superdrug because I've noticed that they've been stocking more and more Afro hair care products. Um, and one of my favorite products actually, which is a curling smoothie by a brand called As I Am. Um, I've noticed that in a couple of stores as well and anyway that brings us to the end oh i don't want i could talk to you for so long i've got so many more questions but we're out of time so a huge thank you thank you stephanie shiraz alex jane and dr linda for joining me today to people out there listening make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and if you're loving super drugs helpful podcast please do leave us a review 